passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we are live, everybody. Welcome to the Cafe Hangout. We are live. My laptop is dead. And I'm John Pollock, joined Ooh. by Wei Ting. What else is new? I hate this thing. I hate it. So what are you doing now without a laptop? I've got an iPad in front of me. You've got a la- an iPad in front of your laptop. Yeah. I'm hoping this thing shows some life. I am completely disconnected from my wireless here, which Wei is attached to, which my iPad is hooked up to, which my phone is attached to. But my i my laptop tells me that there is no connection and it cannot connect to the internet at all. I am so over PCs. I'm ready to jump something, to the dark side. Something tells me even if you switch to a Mac, we might have these same issues. Just be honest with me, okay? You've known me as long as any of my friends have known me. Is this a laptop issue or is this a John Pollock issue? I am technologically challenged, as no. Wei Ting can attest to, okay? I, I can barely turn on a microphone without Wei telling me it's the wrong way or something. I had to call in the backups this morning, that being Wei Ting, to come to my house to help oh. me provide the interview that you are going to hear today. I, I will say I think it's a bit of both, but um, I, 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 I do feel like it's some, – some of the stuff is like kind of complicated what we do. You know, setting up live streams and like trying to hook up these mixers, it's, it's not like – that straightforward so i don't blame you i could not do this on my own yeah i don't blame you at all the it's, way it was about to i know you cannot do this on your own <laughs> no I didn't what i've that. done now and this has turned out to be a big help is that now when way explains things to me i record it as a video and that's way helpful as long as i see it i can do it so smart. but words in my head are not going to i am not going to remember it in the proper order like part of me wonders why we haven't taken more more advantage of like the technology that we have for certain tasks like something like you know somebody showing you how to do something like here i am like occasionally still taking down notes like writing on a piece of paper just like these flip steps. on your phone flip on your phone or like sometimes i'm watching raw and i'm like why exactly do i need to write this down i thought in my head what if i just took a photo of like every important spot in the match so that i can refer to this photo of this spot 
Anyway, I'm kind of getting to something else. Obviously, writing offers like, you know, I can write my my own thoughts and, and all that stuff. But it's hard, though. Like, there's times I'm so I'm taking so many notes that, you know, you you don't want to miss something either. Note taking is certainly at a, at a different level now. And I think um, kids That's why I watch now on my screen. I have my document like half the screen oh, yeah. and then I'm watching because if I'm looking up and down, I'm going to miss stuff. Yeah, actually, this is are the we, nerdiest conversation of all time, because like I find uh, to me, like how you position your, your writing device with the screen is really important. I like having it like having everything in one screen versus like ha- Chromecasting, like the wrestling on one screen and, and then the notes. Oh yeah. My Chromecast doesn't work down here either, by the way. Yeah. Anyway, phone calls, the lines are wide open. Everybody, as you could see, we have, uh, a lot of place to, to, we will take all talk. of your calls. Uh, but I, I wanted to get into a font discussion as well. Do you ever, do, do you ever have those days where you're going to write and you just can't settle on the, the proper font that feels right? Or is that my OCD? Well, uh, what what type of writing are you talking about? Because like when I'm doing my updates, like I will start. You and I'm can't like, choose your font. Like all the, the fonts the same whenever it's on our website. No, but when I'm typing it in Word. Oh, just for your own use? Well, like, I'm uh, typing it. I'm not typing it in the back end of the site. I'm typing it in yeah. Word first. So who? So, I've got to find a font that just feels right for the day. I never have that okay. issue. I I got one font. And I it tries, usually, I'm just I I settle on a font and I'm good for like three months and then I'll switch it up. Really, what but of late, it's just like I don't know, dude. I know it's totally I, OCD. Well, I think it's quite out of character for you in particular. I don't. You don't strike me as somebody who really cares that much about like how the writing looks as you're typing, especially if you're the only one who sees it. No, I am. Wow, <laughs> I definitely am. How interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a. I, I'm settling right now. I'm just kind of going straight on Times New Roman. Sometimes I feel like bold, sometimes not bold. Why don't you go wild and just use something? No, like I need wingdings. I need normal like like Georgia's like the weirdest I get probably. Georgia. Georgia's a nice font. That's not that weird at all. No, that's very normal. How about Impact? Like the font? No, you wouldn't do that. No. All right, <laughs> phone lines are open, everybody. We... What is your favorite font? That is going to oh, be God. everyone's question today if you call in 732-800-4423 or Skype in searching for post-wrestling. A couple news stories uh, that I hear are being uh, out there, uh, including at postwrestling.com. Uh, we have uh, some interesting changes to the WWE's writing staff that we can go over. Uh, Ric Flair apparently uh, filing... Uh, an issue over the trademark of the man in regards to WWE's usage of it for Becky Lynch. And he has actually spoken to TMZ explaining his uh, decision for this. And according to Ric Flair, his daughter is not too happy about this. Yeah. In true Ric Flair fashion, I mean, having all of this take place in the public forum um, concerns me, honestly, like this does not seem like rational behavior, even from somebody who feels like they have a, a rational case. Um, call well, it. wait a minute, wait a minute. If you tuned in to NXT, which is about to go live, and yeah. every week Hunter got on in the middle of the ring, and his opening words were, and we are live. Okay. That's your trademark. No, it's not. It's you actually, should trademark it's actually. I feel like it's actually Bruce Buffer's trademark, but... Um... I guess. I'm not, I'm not about to sue anybody over, you know, any type of... Listen, Rick, Rick Flair... You know, we have we have seen the history of this man with finances and and whatnot. Like his explanation is that listen, I'm happy for them to use it, but I trademarked this for a reason. What's the use of a trademark if I cannot benefit from it? So I do want to be paid if you're going to use my trademark. Their argument apparently is that it is not close enough to the to be the man. I mean, it's also the fact that I, I the trademark hasn't gone through yet, has it? Like it hasn't been approved yet. 
from Flair, my understanding. Yeah, Flair is, it sounds like from this limited TMZ clip that's out there, that's like three minutes that, you know, he has, he has used this phrase since 1981. So there's the establishment of using this in the market, but now he has decided to file it. So it he's is never called himself the man, though. He's used it as part of a catchphrase. Well, it's that's what the WWE side is arguing that it's not even close. Mm. I would say that it is close, but it, it, it's also one that they could fight. Yeah. In either case, um, how do you think this affects his relationship? His daughter works there. His daughter is one of the people that are like best friends with. The it's person. not like this guy is suing them for. I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it's really going to be anything more than maybe he gets some some out of this and man. all will be moved on from. Call- because I don't see WWE stopping like this man nickname for Becky Lynch has caught on and I think they want to be able to use it and they don't want to have I don't think they want the negative publicity that they're feuding with Ric Flair in public I kind of yeah it, 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 it eventually I feel like it Flair is the one that looks bad coming out of this personally but I guess it depends on who you side with uh caller do you have an opinion hello hello hi hey this is Sean from Idaho hi Sean hi Sean hey um I wanted to know how you guys feel. You know, I'm 50. I've been watching wrestling since 1982. And I went to the Cow Palace show last year, and I kind of noticed it. Hiromu had his neck broken right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, um, and then they did the rail spot, and I saw JR get knocked down. And then I'm watching All Out this weekend with my son, who's 18. And he turned to me and goes, man, it is getting really violent. At what point do you think it's going to get to to make them slow down? Because, I mean, some of the stunts they're doing these days is just way out of control, and it just makes the whole event not enjoyable anymore. What was the specific... I enjoy a good story. What was the specific moment from uh, All Out that uh, led to that discussion with your son? Well, the Canadian Destroyer off the ladder was right. pretty insane. Yeah. And then uh, thumbtacks in the mouth, and then getting your mouth taped, and then super kicked in the mouth. And then the skateboard... You know, I mean, I enjoy wrestling. I'm really looking forward to AEW and going back to the, uh, like, it reminds me of NWA of 86, 87, that kind of storyline stuff, which is really enjoyable. But, man, some of the stuff they're doing now is just, you know, it makes you cringe. And, I mean, you look at the shots from All Out and the reaction from the people, and even they look like they're cringing. I, I don't disagree with you. The bar has been set really, really high. The the stuff with like the necks really bother me because I think you're really just just gambling with your body at that point. And you know we see we see situations like uh, what came out of this past weekend with Kenta and situations like that that I just don't feel should be happening at this point. And you know there's the argument that the the bar has been raised so much that this is what the fans expect. But I would counter that with there is a way that you can go around things and and the audience will be receptive if you're creative in your delivery and telling of, of a match story as well um for the hardcore match this past weekend it's like i'm not the biggest fan of those styles of matches but i can also see why they get over and that one did on on saturday so it's it, it's i don't have like a clear-cut answer for you because i don't see it going away but it's the bar is raised really high and we're seeing now that it's kind of in vogue the you know the the brutal suplexes onto guys necks and trying to 
uh, kind of eliminate the line between real versus choreographed as much as possible. That we can't make you believe that what we're doing is real, but the bumps we are taking, we are going to make you absolutely believe that the pain is real because in a lot of cases they are. Yeah. I, I think, Sean, like a, a lot of um, like if if your reaction is shared by a lot of people and I think if, if uh, somebody like AEW hears about that, that's when they will pull back. Like we saw uh, with the Cody chair shot uh, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and received a terrible uh, and gave them really bad publicity, I would say. And Tony Khan immediately said afterwards that they wouldn't be trying something like that, like that again. I mean, with something like a Canadian destroyer off the ladder. That was, I would say, met with overwhelmingly positive reaction. So I I feel like it's it depends on what bothers I think uh, the public at large, and they will make changes accordingly. But certain things, um, you know, evidently they feel are safe enough that you know aren't jeopardizing people's um, long term health. All right, very good. I have one last question for you guys. Uh, so I grew up in the 80s. I was a teenager through the entire 80s. And so Glow is very, very good and very realistic to what happened. Mm. And they've got some shows coming up that you haven't seen that are mm. so dead on as far oh. as homophobia and stuff. Right. Um, but I got to know, the one guy you keep calling Carol Channing, you know that's not his name, right? The... He, Sorry. Carol Channing was a performer in the 50s and 60s, and he's just imitating her. Oh, okay, I didn't realize Carol Channing was based off of a real person, right? Yeah. Oh wow, that's, that's interesting. That shows how old I. That's how old I am. So okay, so All right, but I love you. I love you, you guys, and uh, you know when cookie season comes around next. Uh, sorry, I didn't get that last part, but cooking season. Got it. We'll look forward to it. All right. Thank, thank you, you so very much. much for the call, Sean. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, I had no idea. Uh, Carol Elaine Channing was an American actress, singer, dancer, and comedian. So I guess uh, uh, the character that was being portrayed is a version of Carol Channing. I mean, they were, they're were they all like, you know, Vegas cabaret shows. So um, Sheila think. was also not Liza Minnelli. And I think I've actually just lost the internet myself. So Oh, dear. So uh, maybe we will... Take a, a, a second to possibly reset. I think we're back. Uh, I think phone lines are open again. So if you have anything to, to uh, comment about, please send us a message. Uh, apologies. But uh, yeah, uh, Glow. Glow Season 3. We just uh, John and I have been reviewing every episode thus far. Two episodes a week. Uh, doing that on our Double Shot, which is our Patreon uh, podcast that we release on Tuesdays. Um, it's been a great season so far. I've really enjoyed I've, it. I've enjoyed it greatly. I think uh, I really like the format of where, where we've been doing them. Uh, episodes five and six are already up in the double shot uh, on your Patreon feed. And next week we'll be going to seven and eight. It's it's subject matter that John and I don't usually get to talk about on a typical wrestling show. Um, and I think this season will glow like it's almost like it has nothing to do with wrestling and it's just more about like, you know, a piece about like characters with the, the framework of wrestling attached to it. But in some ways it has lots to do with wrestling. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. In but, other ways, but like opening up a space for a discussion that we wouldn't be able to have elsewhere. Uh, we didn't even mention, we got a guest on <laughs> later today, later on the show, we are going to be joined by Pat McAfee. 
WWE broadcaster and host of the Pat McAfee show, which is launching on DAZN this coming Monday. Uh, He's going to be doing a two-hour daily show, so I had the chance to speak with him. We're going to hear that interview later on. Really interesting discussion with this guy. If you're familiar with his story, retiring from the NFL at a very young age, two and a half years ago, and the media personality that he has uh, become. Uh, I know he has his fans and detractors, but I really enjoyed speaking with him today. So uh, that's going to be coming up later on in the show. Hey, let's go to Bruce Lord, who's on the line. Bruce, what's up? Hey, guys. Uh, for whatever it's worth, I'm a Times New Roman fan. I know that makes me kind of a basic academic stickler, but there it is. Yeah. Um, I uh, just kind of wanted to throw a little love the way of the uh, L.A. Young Lions who I think have been really impressive in the spots that NJPW has been giving them lately. I'm really excited about this, uh, the Young Lions Cup that's happening uh, over the next little while over the Road to Destruction shows. I was in, um, I was able to see the Seattle um, Super J Cup show. I was lucky enough to go to that a couple of weeks ago. And I thought that they all really, really impressed both in singles uh, and tag pairings there. I just think it's a really clever way of sort of diversifying and leveraging the whole Young Lions system by able to kind of have these Japan versus U.S. sorts of matches. I was just kind of curious to, as to sort of what your initial very early evaluations or rankings or what, you know, who, who would you buy high on or buy low on or whatever it might be uh, with the current bunch of L.A. Young Lions that they've got there. Oh, specifically to the L.A. Dojo, I'm I'm super high on Carl Fredericks. I think I think yeah. that guy's uh, fantastic. Um, he He would be kind of my standout of the... LA Dojo at the moment, but I mean, Clark Connors is not far behind either. Um, Alex Coughlin is probably the one I've, I've watched the least of the three, just because Fredericks and Connors have been uh, featured so prominently of late, but uh, I'm planning to dive into those Young Lion Cup matches uh, this weekend and just kind of catch up on all of them. Mm-hmm. I think this Young Lion Cup, it, it's super intriguing to me on this, on this tour at the moment. How, Bruce, like while watching them, do you notice much difference between uh, their styles and, and perhaps the uh, Japanese young lines? To a degree, like I think there is a bit. You you sort of saw it on the um, I believe it was the opening match on the last night of the G One. You can sometimes get this really cocky American, you know, kind of traditionally American macho swagger that comes across if they are working a little bit heel. Uh, and I don't know, like maybe there are subtleties to the Japanese young lions' performances that are maybe just kind of you know culturally I'm not necessarily picking up on. But I do think they just have a little tinge of kind of the more you know, North American style pro wrestling bravado that they sort of work in there that I think makes for some, makes for some interesting contrast. Definitely. And, and yeah, like yourself, John, I was very, very impressed uh, with Fredericks, you know, when I, when I've seen him live, he just has, you know, he has the X factor and everything and he's just very imposing in ring. So yeah. Anyway, guys, uh, I think that's about it for me. Also uh, like other folks really looking forward uh, to what you have to say about the rest of glow. Cause it is as the previous caller was saying an excellent, excellent season. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Always appreciate the call. Thank you. Take care, guys. Thanks, Bruce. Um, yeah, those um, the the Super J Cup shows. By the way, Kevin Kelly noted that he's been voicing them this week. I don't know with who, but it. I would imagine they're going to be up on New Japan World fairly soon. Mm, okay. um, so I know there's a lot of intrigue, especially for Will Ospreay and Amazing Red. But um, yeah. uh, those will be shows to watch, and we'll be curious. Like going back to what we talked about, what is going to be the urgency of people to check on these shows when? You know, it's it's look at what's happened since the Super J Cup. Like after a weekend like last week, it's so quick that you're mm-hmm. you really have 24 to 48 hours that you're in the wrestling fans consciousness before it's moving on to the next 
big sets of shows. But I do feel there will be a lot of interest once those shows finally go up. I think it's recent enough still that, uh, you know, for uh, yeah. a, a match that, that's been as anticipated as that one, uh, I think it'll still get a good amount of buzz. I don't know how many people will be watching every single match in the tournament. but No, probably a lot of cherry picking. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about these uh, creative changes. Uh, it was reported Wednesday night by Dave Meltzer that uh, a bunch of changes have been made, um, largely stemming from uh, Ryan Ward, who we've been told is is taking a personal leave at the moment, and he had been serving as the lead writer on SmackDown. So the changes now will see uh, Ed Kosky, who has been there in the writing staff since 2001. He has uh, grown into a, a VP role uh, of creative writing. He will be moving over to SmackDown. Uh, he'll be working with Eric Bischoff, and then on Raw, uh, Jonathan uh, Bakstrom, who uh, earlier this year he had been moved, he had been the lead writer on Two Hundred Five Live, and it was sometime earlier this year, I believe, he had been moved away from that. He will be working under Paul Heyman on Raw. So those are kind of the big changes that they have announced. So it, essentially, just flipping things over, uh, along with the caveat that. The writing staffs are going to be separate once they see the move to Fox. And, of course, we have the draft that will be tentatively set for October 11th and 14th on Smack Week 2 on Fox and the following week's Raw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think it remains to be seen exactly how separate the, the rosters will be. Um, I, I feel like they had great intentions of keeping them as separate as they are, but I'm sure they had that same feeling when they initially did this brand split that we're seeing right now. Yeah, I'm sure that they can be going in with all the intent that we are going to have dedicated rosters and completely separate. But come week six and, you know, SmackDown needs a shot in the arm. I like everything is always subject to uh, a moment's notice. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what, what's going on there in WWE. Let's go back to the phone lines. Neil, you're on the air. What's up? Hey, guys. So you well? Hey. Neil. Nice. Great to hear yes, from you. Yes, it is me from Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree with uh, my Irish, well, he, ser- he shares an Irish name, Sean, uh, about the vi- about the violence. And it's not being prissy or anything like that. It's just I, I kind of feel um, it's not ne- particularly necessary. The For me, I have a bit of um, a personal issue with it in a touch of he- hemophobia, I think it's called, which is just a, a real queasiness about blood. So I, funnily enough, the, um, you know, Jumping onto cracker barrels and and even boards with um, thumbtacks and boards with barbed wire on them don't bother me nearly as much as blade jobs. I can't stand them. And the the even the th- I just thinking about the the Ronalds brothers match and the state that Dustin was in by the end of that. Um, there was I blood could, in that I match. Could, yes, I could barely watch it. Mm. There was so much blood. Um, but that's a that's a that's just one point. Just a few small points. Um, I was a Times New Roman guy for a long time. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. And, and but but, I was but what switch? Well, I had to switch for my job. Um, are you familiar <laughs> with the, Are you familiar with the um, uh, term Hansard, meaning the p- sort of record of parliamentary debates? I know that Canada has House of Commons and has quite a British mirror system. Mm-hmm. Hansard is, I believe, what it's called in Canada as well. It's basically just a, it reads like a script. It's just the uh, the almost word by word uh, record of the debates, can committee meetings that happen in Parliament. Gotcha. And I work. I that's what I do. Uh, um, uh, you catch a, it. 
Like you well, can't... I copy edit. I copy edit oh. uh, what comes out. And we used to produce in uh, Times New Roman, but uh, we're forced to switch to Arial because Ooh. it's sans serif and it's easier to read for people with, uh, apparently it's easier to read oh. for people with some visual issues. So they are. <laughs> A little, that, that is incredible insight. I I, I yeah. want to know what the record of font is for for Neil's uh, occupation. So that that's very good to know. Yeah, absolutely, Ariel. Oh. And we've toyed with Calibri as well. So there you go. Oh, um, dangerous! Hey, hey, let me ask. Why why is it that Ariel has all of a sudden like, you know, taken over Helvetica? Why doesn't nobody talk about Helvetica anymore? It wasn't isn't true? Helvetica yeah, the one that, that started. Isn't Ariel just not a rip off of Helvetica? It is, yes. And I don't know the answer to that question. Helvetica was really all the rage. And, and, and an there's awful a, lot of There's brand. a movie made after Helvetica. Yeah, I think it was, was a documentary it's called Helvetica, yes. Sure, yeah. And, and an awful lot of branding was basically some variation of, of Helvetica, slightly bolded or slightly, you know, this and that. You know, so, yeah. Now, be honest, I, I Neil. Be, be honest, because obviously <laughs> font comes... This isn't my iPhone. <laughs> font is a very critical part of your occupation. Can all three of us agree as one entity right now now that if you use Comic Sans, there's no respect in the world that's reserved for you. Oh, the British Parliament yes, doesn't use Comic Sans. That's automatically minus a million points if, to anyone who like, uh, just, like just get out of the 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 art of writing at that point. Like you might as well just be putting together ransom notes. Yeah. Oh no, I can't read it. No. Yes, you're quite right. You'd, you'd be better off uh, chopping up headlines and pasting them onto a piece of paper. I think. Well, Neil, I always, I always enjoy our conversations. I, I, I found this deeply uh, endearing. Let, let me ask on a serious note. On a serious note, sure. what do you think the appetite is? Because there was a time when blood was a huge part of professional wrestling. And I think that that's certainly gone through. Um, that's certainly been challenged over the last decade. And I think uh, documentaries like Nigel McGuinness's have really kind of put to the forefront. Um, mm-hmm. This is a very archaic um, practice that is still used utilized in pro wrestling do you feel that the audience as a whole still appreciates and applauds the use of blood or do you think that it's a growing number that are as much turned off by it as the ones that enjoy that aspect of what they perceive pro wrestling to be from a bygone era it's a very interesting question i mean i've heard so many and i don't know the answer john is the, is the short is the short answer to that because I've, I've heard i remember hearing a podcast and it was um a kind of a um uh, let's go over the the match between uh, Bret Hart and uh, and uh, Steve Austin. I, I, can't, I can't quite. I think it was Steve Austin's podcast. I suppose it must have been. And it was Bret and Steve, and they were they were going through the whole anatomy of the match and how it worked. And you know, they're both both those guys are kind of old school, and they talk about color and how it would add to the match. Vince didn't want it, but they did it anyway, and all this kind of thing. And I. I I, I can understand that old school mentality, but it's yeah for me. I don't want to see it. But again, that's a typical. That, sorry, that's an atypical response, probably because uh, I don't like the. I just don't like the sight of blood, particularly too much of it. It's it's a bit stomach churning to me. <laughs> you know, it's it's the equivalent of seeing a, a broken leg or or someone's hand sticking the wrong way after you know falling on a soccer pitch badly. To my to my eyes. Lots of people don't feel that way. I know. I, I get that. They they think it adds to a match. It adds to the drama. It's part of it. Are you? So, are you a horror movie fan, Neil? No, I'm not. Yeah, I, and, and, but I, I quite I think... like. 
Yes. Sorry, I don't mind uh, the uh, like the intense thriller, let's call it, but mm-hmm. any blood and guts type thing, you know, Hostel right. or or um, you know those sorts of movies yeah. with axe killers and stuff no thanks well, we've seen from AEW, like i think their their mandate at least at the moment is to provide something for everybody and clearly there are a lot of people who you know like enjoy this type of like you know i i would classify almost like the horror movie genre of professional wrestling which i think will be different from the television product yes. i don't think you will see this yes. stuff on TV. but it makes it makes the pay-per-view something special yeah it? like listen i i won't lie like at times when, when used properly, it adds drama. But I think at the same time, like there is a certain aspect of it that uh, really turns me off. And uh, I look at, have we not gotten past this? Like this is a pre, like this is a practice from years back, uh, generations yeah. before that is a holdover. I, and it's very much romanticized to use blood. And there's no doubt that it can add to a match. But at the same time, I, I think it also comes with uh, a degree of scrutiny now to be using it in 2019 when you have the awareness of how diseases can be passed and just right. the the yeah. look it gives your promotion as well. That is one that is trying sure. to attract sponsors and new fans that maybe are not in tune with that. I agree, Partic- particularly when it's, you know, the, 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 the perceived result of something like an elbow shot and then the camera pans away for a while. And then when the camera pans back, suddenly... The guy is burning blood everywhere. I mean, it's it's so it's so obvious that it's you know it's been it's not it's not hard way as they say, and that I don't mind. You know, if someone gets a little cut over their eye, who cares? I think that that does enhance the match, but that's obviously an accidental thing. Thank you uh, but, very much for the call, Neil. Appreciate so, it. Uh, wait, do you mind? Uh, do you, do you mind if I just just have ten more seconds? Which was the real reason I ten seconds. Me. What's up? Yeah, I just really wanted to uh, thank uh, John for really pushing the uh, British Wrestling Experience special with uh, Alan Cunahan because I have not been listening to that podcast and to listen to two Irish men uh, run down the the those uh, those uh, that top uh, um, the top fifty uh, British matches. matches. Yeah, yeah, it was fabulous, and and I agree with John. It was just a chat I could have listened to forever. Uh, I'm not that into the Brit Res scene, but I am into OTT because they come to Belfast now and again. And I noticed that Alan managed to shoehorn in Jordan Devlin versus Scotty Davis last November, which I went to see. So I was particularly in, uh, uh, gratified by that. So it's it's a really excellent. They're on to the next episode, I know, but I I, I really encourage just. The, the the chemistry between those two guys chatting about that was really interesting even though I didn't I wasn't familiar with that many of the matches it's just a really good show yeah it's a, it's a fantastic show if you want to go look at it in our archives under the uh, British wrestling experience James E and Alan Farrell going through the top 50 matches in the history of the UK and I was just happy for Alan that his deadline uh, preceded uh, this past weekend's <laughs> events because that would have thrown his list just mm-hmm. into uh, it would have exploded uh, but Absolutely. thank you as always uh, for the call Neil Great to hear Thanks, from you. Thanks, guys. Thanks. All right. Well, uh, anything else in the news that you need to get to, or shall we get to our guest? Uh, we can we can get to our guest. Is there okay. uh, anything we didn't touch upon? Uh, I feel like a lot we managed to cover either today or all, yesterday on the double shot as well. Yes, so. we did go over uh, some of the latest news at the beginning of the double shot. So if you want to hear about that, there was a, a fair amount going on 
uh, last night. But that's up on the double shot. Let's uh, throw, not over, throw it on over now to uh, Pat McAfee, uh, who I got to chat with earlier today. Uh, he is going to be launching the Pat McAfee Show on DAZN. It's going to be a video version on DAZN, as well as uh, syndicated on certain markets with Westwood One. A very busy man. He's doing ESPN work on Thursday nights, doing uh, college football. He has his WWE duties, and we kind of went into uh, a lot of that on the WWE front, as well as life after football for Pat McAfee. All right. Well, joining us here today on Post Wrestling, a man of many hats. He is a football analyst, a WWE broadcaster. And beginning this Monday, he will be hosting the Pat McAfee show that you can now watch daily from 10 a.m. till noon on DAZN, as well as on Select Markets on Westwood One. The man himself, Pat McAfee, is here on the show. Pat, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. Love Canada. Can't wait to chat with you about a little wrestling and a little bit of life. Uh, John, you're the man. How are you doing? Oh, well, thank you so much, Pat. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I, I want to just go back. And when when you were making your retirement from football, was this kind of the dream? Was this kind of the, the picture you had painted for yourself of kind of diving headfirst into the broadcasting space and where you find yourself today? Yeah, it was kind of the dream, the hope, the vision. I mean, who knew if it was actually going to be able to happen? But when I retired, there was a lot of factors that went into it. But also one of them was I was enjoying what I was doing off the field a lot more than what I was doing on the field. And off the field, I was running up my foundation with my old man, doing a lot of philanthropy stuff. I was doing stand-up comedy. I was doing the Bob and Tom radio show. I was doing a lot on social media. And I was finding real fulfillment and business success off the field with it all. So for me, when I retired, there was a couple of surgeries. The GM didn't like me, and I was enjoying what was going on off the field. Uh, it kind of was just a recipe for my decision to kind of move on from the game. And the dream and thought was always that we'd be able to hopefully do a lot in the media world. And we got a chance to start off with Barstool Sports and kind of run my own operation in Indianapolis and kind of learn how to finagle and uh, make things that are profitable on the internet. And then once I left there and kind of started my own path here with my friends and I, it's just been, it's been a really cool experience and we're being afforded a lot of opportunities. People are putting a lot of faith in us and now it's our duty to show up and speak some stupidity into a microphone. And that's, uh, that's literally what it is. But yeah, I, I thought this was going to potentially happen and it's, it's all kind of coming to fruition and now we got to take advantage of it and hopefully we'll do that. When you retired, uh, the date was February the 2nd of 2017, and I'm curious, three days later, I assume you watched the Super Bowl. What was that experience like, fresh off making that announcement? Were you at peace with the decision? What was that viewing experience like, so fresh after making a a big career-altering decision? Yeah, I don't think the Super Bowl, that couple days after... um was anything notable when it came from like a personal emotional standpoint? Uh, that whole week was just a, a celebration and an exciting one. Not only myself, but three of my other friends retired and quit their jobs to join my venture on the internet as well. So that first uh, week of retirement was one where we're all excited. We all had a lot of great uh, mojo and emotion going into it. And then once the week of excitement settles in and wears out, now it's time to actually put in the work. And uh, we didn't have a studio yet, 
People expected us to launch a podcast that next week. We didn't have a studio, so we started recording in my basement, and then we started recording in the Bob and Tom studio, just trying to keep up and try to learn the business of the Internet as fast as we possibly could. So there was really no time for me to settle in and regret a decision. And to be honest, as I've moved forward here a few years now, I haven't really. I've enjoyed my decision. And there was an opportunity for me to go back and kick field goals. I punted in the NFL. There was an opportunity for me to go back and kick field goals uh, for the Bears if I wanted to go compete for the job. Their kicking coach was my kicking coach years ago. He was just hired and said, hey, if you get the itch to kick field goals, which I hadn't had a chance to do in the NFL, you can definitely come and do that. So I scratched that itch a little bit. My knee blew up, and I recalled quickly uh, the injuries and everything that happened like that. So there hasn't been really a time that I missed it. Uh, the opportunity with the Bears that arose was one that I was excited about and could potentially become the first person ever successfully kick and punt in the NFL. But it wasn't because I missed the, uh, the game and the NFL daily routine. I very much enjoy what I'm doing right now, and I've loved being a fan uh, just as much as I did when I was a kid. And it's been a, a pretty cool experience for me with no regrets. What's the position like for you where you are in a lot of these positions – you are the host and you're driving the bus. A lot of the times we see a lot of ex-athletes that they'll move into analyst roles and that comes with it with its own uh, degree of difficulty. But how has that transition been for you and how, how has it grown uh, into the role where you can serve many, many different roles within the broadcast space? Yeah, I, I appreciate that, by the way. It means a lot. Um, my first time doing stand-up, I did a 94-minute set. Um, it's just, it's one of those things where I've always been a talker. I literally have been ever since I can recall. I've always been the chatty one of the group. I enjoy generating conversation. I enjoy setting my, uh, friends and people that are with me up to make incredible comments, whether it's hilarious or, uh, intriguing. I just enjoy that role of being a setup guy. Wow. I think I can prod some things out of people that not a lot of other people can strictly because of my experiences. So I'm not sure why many other ex-athletes are, aren't in the host roles. They're all in the analyst space, probably because they're experts and all that stuff. I just so happen to be born with a, uh, a chatty mouth and uh, observational brain. And I just try to pick up some things that I think are interesting try to lead people into that and hopefully set the people up who are on air with me uh, to deliver some greatness. And I don't know why I'm a good facilitator. I feel like I do it well. And it's just one of those things where um, me having a big mouth, which got me in a lot of trouble. I mean, a lot of trouble. We're talking about a lot of trouble when I was a kid uh, is all coming back to pay off just a bit. And hopefully I'll be able to blaze a trail here for more athletes that are like me. Or if I'm the only one that can do it, I'm cool with that too. It's just, I think you can get in where you fit in, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, from the fan base side of things that are following sports and their favorite players, it's very much star-driven. When you're someone that that says that you have that big mouth, is that encouraged in a team setting, or did you feel you did kind of have to dial it back when you were in, in that stage of your career that you don't have now, that you can be much more just free with your thoughts and let everyone know what's on your mind? Well, I, I mean, I'm not really like a um, a hot take machine. I don't. I, I, I like everybody to have a good time. So uh, you got to pick and choose. I very much understood that in the NFL, it was a place of work, um, but also I was a punter. So you got to remember that. I mean, being the punter in an NFL locker room, you're, you're pretty low in the totem pole when it comes to athleticism and importance to the team. 
Uh, so you got to have a little self-awareness as well. I did have to dial it back, I'd assume, uh, because you're focusing on trying to be the best ball kicker of all time. So my brain couldn't focus on just generating content and ideas. So I did feel as if I, I didn't have the opportunity and the freedom to create as much as I had wanted to because of my brain being tasked with kicking balls and focusing on that literally year-round, uh, even in the off season. If you want to be great in the NFL, you have to really focus on it. So I, I was excited for the freedom away from that focus and being able to focus on things that make me happy and bring fulfillment to myself and hopefully others. And honestly, that that is really the biggest difference between being in the NFL and now. It's just I have the ability to fully focus with my friends on creating content and having a good time and hopefully making somebody else's life just a little bit better. Uh, and that's basically the biggest difference when it comes from now in the NFL. I was doing a lot when I was in the NFL. I was tweeting a lot. I did an entire stand-up tour when I was in the NFL. I had a merch company where I sponsored an Indy 500 race car. I, I was doing a lot when I was in the NFL, but I never try to be a distraction. I never try to bring anybody else down. I'm just trying to lift people up all the time. Uh, as we shift on over, because a lot of our listeners are, are most familiar with through your, your work with WWE, uh, given the fact you're going, you're doing this daily show, you you have so many irons in the fire at the moment. Uh, where does WWE fit in as you're going to be going into this next chapter as well? Are you going to still be doing the watch alongs? What's the extent of the, the WWE involvement right now? So my business with the WWE is an interesting one. They were the first people to ever let me on a network, basically. Michael Cole was the first person from a network, the WWE network, uh, to reach out to me and say, hey, we want you on our airwaves. Uh, we don't know how it's going to work. We'll figure it out, but let's do that. And over the course of the next couple months there, he and I and Brian Pelagato, who's their uh, digital guy, uh, incredibly talented internet gentleman, media, digital media man, we kind of sat down and tried to map out a real contract that makes sense for both of us. And I'll continue to, I wanted to continue to run my own business. I had 11 employees. I still, I have 12 employees now. So I got a lot of people that depend upon me, but having the opportunity to work within the WWE universe is obviously every child's dream, including mine. I spent Monday nights with the boys back in the day during the war. And it's just, I just, it was an opportunity I had to take, and uh, we will still do the pre-shows, which is what I'm contracted to do, the NXT pre-shows with Michael Cole, which I love doing because those takeovers are just absolutely electric. I don't get to watch NXT every single week on Wednesday, which it has been for the last couple of years. I watch them the week leading up to the takeover, and I feel like my life is just tenfolds better after watching the incredible athleticism of the NXT athletes and then takeovers always deliver. So the pre-shows will still be something that I'll do. Uh, I'm excited for their launch on USA network. I think they're going to crush it on there. I don't know how they're going to continue to top themselves, but they do somehow. Uh, and then the watch alongs will still be something I do. If it fits into the schedule, it'll be definitely in the off season. I believe the clash of champions. We're going to try our best to make it happen. We're still trying to figure that out right now. The watch along will definitely still happen with or without me, but I very much continue our plan on continuing to work with the WWE. Uh, but the schedule right now is insane for me, and I think they very much understand that. And it's been a very cool partnership between us. Um, 
you shared um, after WrestleMania this this past weekend uh, the, the whole issue that, that went down with, with the shorts and not to talk specifically about that, but I was more so curious what your relationship was like with Vince McMahon after that and having a face-to-face discussion with him, presenting your point of view. Did you come out of that with uh, a closer tie to Vince McMahon that is obviously very integral for the role you're in? What's the relationship like with Vince McMahon? So, so Vince and I didn't chat about the shorts. Uh, Brian Pelagato, Michael Cole, and Vince McMahon chatted about the jorts or the tuxedo shorts. Right. And Vince McMahon, to quote, said, "I'm hip. I know what those are. Yes, he can wear them." And that was uh, after Michael Cole, who I have a great relationship with, by the way. And when I told the story on my show about Michael Cole yelling at me, I was telling the story as if a friend was yelling at another friend. And obviously, it got a bit contentious because he thought I was gonna. Um, he thought I was going to shoot myself in the foot with Vince McMahon before I even got an opportunity to do anything real with the WWE. I think that in his heart, that was his biggest thing. But also, his ass is on the line, too, if I look like an idiot on TV, because he's the one who brought me in WWE. So it was probably a little bit of both. But I did not talk to Vince McMahon. I shook his hand after that and thanked him for allowing me on the air uh, and then just kept it moving. He and I have had two encounters. We shook each other's hand twice. And it's been a combined about seven seconds in total interaction. Uh, But obviously, Vince McMahon, no matter what you think about him, uh, the product now or anything like that, you can hate on the product now and still have a – by the way, I think it's turning for the great. I I think it's about to get into a great era right now. I hope. I mean, I I think all WWE fans do. I, I think that's the way WWE has gone for a long time as it comes in cycles. And you watch just hoping that the next cycle is about to hit, and I think we're about to hit a great one here. But you got to respect what Vince McMahon has done. I mean, he's a global, multi-billion dollar human who created this thing from himself. And uh, now, granted, his dad helped and helped him out, but the vision of man's dad, I think he's the most underrated genius in the history of entertainment. And uh, if I ever do get a chance to chat with him, I'll be excited to see how that goes. I don't think it'll be a long one. I think it'll be a quick one, Uh, mostly because everybody knows he loves a good suit. And I normally dress like a a jackass, and I would assume that he would judge me immediately. But uh, I have nothing but respect for the man, and hopefully our first conversation will be a good one. When you guys are doing the the watch-along, tell us just a bit about what uh, kind of the production that goes into that and do you feel like you guys are kind of left to your own to produce this? I mean, as opposed to, uh, you know, the, the level of kind of oversight that if this were happening during the pay-per-view broadcast, just tell us a little bit about um, that and putting together, you know, a six-hour broadcast that you're kind of driving the ship throughout. Yeah, so the watch-along is uh, produced by the WWE Digital Squad. They got a lot of incredibly talented people there, and the technology is incredible um it, but there isn't really much it, it's just kind of with, with a lot of things on the internet you just kind of got to let it go and see what happens and i think that is very much what the watch along is we'll have a heads up on a potential couple guests that'll be stopping by hey this person said that they'll stop by during this this person will stop stop by during this uh but nothing is really planned it's kind of all just hey uh, you watch the show, we'll bring some people in, you ask them questions, if they want to start a conversation, which normally happens, let them do it, just kind of eat some food, have a good time, and let's see if we can make some magic. And I think it's it's kind of turned into 
like a four and a half hour podcast. It feels like that. It feels like it's a four and a half hour podcast. There's some there's some lulls in there where there isn't a lot of magic happening, but I think there's there's a couple six seven moments each show that are uh, worth your your viewing time. I think as you. Uh... Being the host throughout this, and you know, it's it's a very re- relaxed environment there. But can you sense almost immediately the the guest, whether they want to be there or not, and what kind of you have to oh, yeah. p- pull from them? Oh yeah! As soon as they sit down, uh, I try to get a feel. You know, I try to get a feel for them, and I can tell whether or not they want to participate, right? Because right? it is a show. I mean, there is people watching us. You can tell if somebody wants to participate earlier if they're feeling you feel like they've been forced in there, and I'm not sure if they have, but it feels like some people that have been there in the past, they almost the way they act, it gives me a feeling, oh, they're being forced to be in here. But a lot of them are just such good people, and I think that's the the thing I've learned about the WWE is um, the wrestlers are, are good humans, most of them, like incredible, like every human we've met. I, I say most because I haven't met every single one of them. But a lot of good people. They've been nothing but nice to us. They take care of us. And uh, whenever that watch-along starts, usually these big-name stars walk in there, let their guard down, and have a good time with us. But it is very easy to tell early whether or not the person's going to be, you know, like with it or not. It's like if they're not, it's like, okay, this person's probably going to be in here for 15 minutes. Let's figure out a way uh, to make use of this time. But sometimes it's tough. And then sometimes it's magic. Uh, and I've been very fortunate that a lot of people have come in there have had a good time with me. Well, my final question, and it's just interesting given the fact of your placement in WWE, and it just seems so many different avenues that could be a great fit for you with the announcement of their podcast network, with the XFL coming up. But how full is Pat McAfee's plate at this point? Do you feel like you, you've, you're kind of maxed out right now when it comes to the, the available hours in the day with all the all the different things you have going on, including the daily show that starts on Monday. Yeah. So my fall schedule is packed to the gills right now. I think we're trying to figure out myself and my guys. We're trying to figure out, you know, what exactly do we want to do for the next 20 years of our life? So we kind of have every opportunity and option right now with the daily show on DAZN Monday through Friday, 10 to noon Eastern standard time. That's going to go off every single day. Can't wait for that. Excited for that. We're all pumped up. Uh, just hopefully giving people a mental vacation for a couple hours with a couple good guests. Then uh, I'm in New York on Monday for Get Up. I'll do my show from there, hop on a plane, fly back to Indianapolis, do my show from Indianapolis in our studio in our office, hop on a plane, fly to wherever the Thursday night football game is on ESPN that I'm doing. Wednesday, Thursday, I'm there, and then hop on a plane, fly back uh, to Indianapolis with a couple possible NXT stop-ins on Wednesday night. So, I mean, there is... My fall schedule is insanity. Uh, there won't be a lot of sleeping, I don't think. I'm, I'm pretty pumped up to see how it all goes. But uh, my future with the WWE is one that I definitely would like to grow because I think it's such a powerful platform. I, I think it's the greatest form of entertainment when it's done right. I think those avenues uh, and the potential concepts that I could do in the WWE would be incredible. Um, but... I have no idea, honestly. This schedule is crazy, and we kind of just – I'm a checkers player, not a chess player. You know what I mean? I'm jumping over whatever's right in front of me right now. I'm not three plays ahead. I'm trying to get kinged immediately uh, and then just move that thing back across the board the other way. It's just – that's how I play. That's how my entire life has been. Uh, we'll see how it goes. It's been a pain in the ass, I think, for a lot of these big-time corporate folks um, that all play chess – 
And I'm just like, I don't know. We'll do this uh, tomorrow. Who knows? And they're like, all right, let's just roll with it. And that's how we do. Just bob and weave, see what comes up, see what hits us in the face, and see what we get good out of. Well, Pat, uh, I want to say congratulations because there's a lot of athletes that will talk about life after whatever sport they play. And that can be a very, very difficult transition for many athletes. And what you've been able to do in two and a half years, I think that many, many athletes can take note of what you've been able to do at, at such a young age. And we look forward to uh, the Pat McAfee Show Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. till noon Eastern on the zone. Well, as Westwood One, you can see him on ESPN, WWE. He's all over the place, and today he was on Post Wrestling. Pat, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to chat with us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm lucky to be where I'm at, including talking to you. Cheers, man. Thank you. Thanks very much, Pat. All the best. And that was Pat McAfee speaking with John Pollock here on the Cafe Hangout. I found he was a really interesting guy to speak with and what he's been able to do post uh, his after his retirement from football and someone that clearly had a mind for getting into the broadcasting and media space. And, you know, for someone that has, I think, made that transition very well, if you're only familiar with his WWE work, I mean, he is all over the place, as he mentioned, uh, with this uh, daily show, uh, doing uh, college football work on ESPN on Thursday nights. I mean, he is someone that seems to be in very high demand and has been able to create um, an, an enormous following for himself post career post career yeah i can certainly understand i can certainly understand why all these like major organizations want to attach their their product to him um he seems to be at least like you know listening to this interview and hearing him on his podcast talk about the whole michael cole situation seems to be very much like a straight shooter type of guy so i i can definitely see the appeal now had this interview happened a few hours later i would have asked him about constructing a studio in your basement if he ever ran into any wireless internet issues <laughs> and maybe he could have uh provided me with uh some help oh we appreciate everybody's patience with that um it won't be a cafe hangout without some some technical glitch it's but, the charm uh, of the show part of the charm uh we go to one last question from the chat room before we sign off on this show and eric marcote a good friend of the show asks thoughts on Kareem Zidane's article on UFC 242. Do you have any have any personal reservations watching this upcoming card? Uh, I thought Phil's Chertok's take on the situation on our website was interesting as well. Yeah, so um, today in our, our five question section, I asked Phil about this. I'm the one behind the questions. I've, I'm revealing right now, um, and he looks at it um, from the point of view that he realizes that. You know, there's there's many things in our everyday lives that whether it's uh, using, you know, overnight shipping from Amazon and kind of the uh, questions about now it's certain ethics to come uh, with any decision. And he he looks at this event as something that here is uh, Abu Dhabi, a place that forever has hold the the ADCCs and has a rich history in martial arts that he looks at it as a positive um, this show and. And I'm going to admittedly say, like, I, I'm not as familiar with, you know, the with the United Arab Emirates as kind of the research we've done into, like, Saudi Arabia that's been necessitated from our coverage as well. But what I, I think I would point everyone to Karim Zidane's article that we don't have to go uh, line by line in this, but he... Kareem's had a couple articles this past week. Yeah. And, actually on the topic. Yeah. And this one that came out on Thursday, it's looking at Middle Eastern countries and you know, governments that are bringing major combat sports over here uh, that have been able to attract big boxing fights, mixed martial arts, and professional wrestling as well, and why they are doing this, and the the usage of sport that 
you know, you as the consumer also have to look at, at the politics of the region. And for some, it's completely separate. And you're not going to think about that at all. Uh, for others, they're they're going to ask, like, why why is this happening? What is the value of a UFC going over there um, to to Dubai, for instance? So uh, to Abu Dhabi. And I think that these are all worthwhile conversations to have. I don't think that like there's uh, it's like an easy answer that you can come to of I think many people will be able to separate politics from this. I think that there's a lot of WWE fans that will simply tune in and they want to watch a wrestling show and they're not going to be concerned with um, other other issues at large. Mm-hmm. But I think it is important to talk about when you have um, these kinds of issues that, that arise. So, I mean, I'm going to be watching this card. I'm going to be watching it later on Saturday. I'm not going to be watching it live. But, um, yeah, it's... To me, it's just like... Opening yourself up to to more knowledge to me is never a bad thing. Not at all. I think that it's important to to look at this and and get the full scope of everything and and just get a further understanding. And I'd certainly point people in the direction of uh, Karim Zidane, who like this this is what um, his coverage has been you know detailed so well. So that's a bloodyelbow.com today. I'll put all those links up uh, on our show descriptions for people uh, uh, who are listening to this after the fact. But uh, yeah, that's five questions with Phil Chertok, which is on postwrestling.com, as well as uh, two articles from Karun Zidane, uh, both in The Guardian Sport and also from Bloody Elbow. Right. Um, and that's going to wrap things up. Uh, we covered it on Wednesday, but the AEW Championship, it was recovered. It is back in the possession of Chris Jericho. Uh-huh. And I have heard that that... Uh, have you seen the design of the new bubbly shirt? I have, yes. Apparently, this thing is selling an incredible rate at yes. Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh, I'm honestly amazed at how much that like that little comment on the post show that was streamed on YouTube from Chris Jericho as he's popping champagne, how much that has taken off as a meme. Um, these are things that I really don't think you could predict, but you know they've certainly taken advantage, full advantage of it. And Someone sent me an aqua one this week, a Barbie girl, but instead of... Come on, bubbly. Let's Listen, go party. For one week, it, it'll it, it'll be a tremendously popular shirt. Um, and let's see what other what else they have in store. AEW, as far as you know, meme culture goes. I'm sure it's it's something they they are aiming towards uh, capitalizing on going yeah. forward. All right. Well, that's going to bring in to the cafe hangout. So thank you to all of our callers for joining us. To Pat McAfee as well, ahead of his uh, his show that's launching on Monday on the Zone, and waiting the man that keeps all of this together. Uh, who who really did bring to us that Pat McAfee interview. Because without you, I, it would have been a disaster. No, no. Well, thank Technically, you, it would have been a mess. Thank you for doing a great interview. Yeah, but thank you for doing the great interview, and thank you to our guests for uh, making the time. Well, uh, thanks to all of you for joining us on the Cafe Hangout. Way and I are back on Friday. If you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, Ask Away drops on Friday. Uh, great show coming your way on Friday. What about like an hour and a half? Uh, I'm answering all your questions. All everything. over the place. Some really good yeah. questions this month. And then Saturday night, we'll have the UFC 242 post show with Phil joining me. And then Sunday night, WH Park will be with me as well to round out the weekend at postwrestling.com. So check out all of that. And we will speak with you on Friday. Bye. Bye.